You are now listening to the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. Wait, the answer was add 10 gallons? Add 10 gallons. My first thought was we got to put active children. Yeah, great. <laughs> Trucks on the, on the way. On the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I've got two observations, uh, neither of which are really educated or well thought out. <laughs> <laughs> Which are like most of my observations are. There aren't a lot of problems on a job site that can't be solved with a sack full of biscuits. Today's episode of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast is brought to you by Actigel 208. Actigel 208 is a high-performance additive for the concrete industry that is greatly beneficial to the producer. It enables them to increase the percentage of manufactured sand by up to 100% and completely replace all the natural sand in the mix. In areas where natural sand is scarce, inconsistent, and expensive, this provides a huge benefit to any ready-mix company out there. Benefits of manufactured sand and concrete include consistent air content, improved compaction, and increased density. Now in the past, the downside of using manufactured sands was that they were hard to pump, hard to place, and hard to finish. Well, Actigel 208 solves all those issues. By improving suspension, stability, and the quality of the cement paste in the mix, Actigel overcomes the old issues with manufactured sand and leaves them behind. Let Actigel 208 improve the quality of your mix while saving money on every yard you produce. For more information, visit us at actigel.com. That's A-C-T-I-G-E-L dot com. Welcome everybody to another installment of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. This is episode 15 and we appreciate you being with us. Uh, my name is Josh and I got Paul and Joey with me as always. Paul, how's it going? It's going good, man. I'm glad the weather is above freezing here in the mid-Atlantic uh, as we attempt to go to the far north where it is negative 15 degrees Celsius right now. <laughs> yeah, let's. we'll get into that in a little bit. Joey, what's going on? Going good, man. We got three days till turkey season. That's all I'm thinking about. <laughs> Count it down. Yes, sir. Yep. Not the, not this weekend, but the weekend after Easter. I'll be racing for the first time this year, so I feel you. It's a time. I feel you. An opening day of baseball season. Yep. 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 This is the last. This is the last uh, weekend without baseball for quite some time. I, look, I don't remember who I heard this from, but like ten years ago, I heard somebody just had the greatest opinion about opening day. It should be like a national holiday. We shouldn't be. But but it should be a weekend. It should be like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three-game series. Let's make this like a huge deal. Why are you opening day on Monday and Tuesday when people aren't going to be there? Well, it's, like, it's like the college football national championships Monday night at 9 mm-hmm. o'clock. But they do that because they're competing with football. Uh, so okay. they, they can't compete on uh, the Sunday. But with baseball, there's nothing else going on. Let's get out here. Let's not make it 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Monday so that we're having to take off work. Man, I don't want to do that. Let's have a weekend celebration, make it a three-day thing. Every team starts Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all across the country. It should, it should be synchronized. It should be awesome. It should be a thing. It should be a national holiday, in my opinion. I hear you. I'm all for getting you. off work. <laughs> well, it's easy. well, you are off work this Friday. It's Easter weekend. Yeah. Roll Tide. We have an upcoming trip to the Arctic Circle, which sounds really cool when you say it until you look at the forecast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as soon as that well, thing, as soon as Paul said, as soon as it got rescheduled, and now I can go. So I, the first thing I do before any trip is I start looking at the weather. So of course, with this little uh, with this little trip, of course they had some interesting weather, and so I looked at it today, and it was like negative seventeen degrees Fahrenheit. So the people that are listening to this have no idea what we're talking about. So let me just break it down real fast. So uh, the Actigel product that we represent and we work with, it goes into a lot of cementitious applications, not just concrete. Like we're concrete guys, but it goes into other stuff too. And one of the things it goes to is uh, what you call backfill at a mine, cemented backfill. So like when uh, you're running an, an underground mine, like a gold mine or a nickel mine or a silver mine, one of these things, uh, you have to dig it out from underground. But when you dig it out from underground, only like, you know, 10 to 20% of that's the good stuff, the gold and the silver and whatnot. So the other 80% of that dirt, you got to put it back underground, but you can't just put this unconsolidated dirt back underground. It doesn't, uh, it will fill the void. It just doesn't have any strength. So you need to match the strength of the the rock around it. So they add cement to it, give it a little bit of strength. Uh, what ends up happening though, is uh, after years and years of mining, uh, you're mining further and further away from your production facilities. And it gets very, very difficult uh, to then backfill 
uh, these areas that are so far away. And Actigil can help with that. And so this uh, this mine in the Arctic Circle uh, in a territory called None of It. By the way, None of It is like just by land, you know, top fifteen, top five, some crazy size like a landmass. Mm-hmm. And and if it was its own country, it'd be like a top five country by landmass. But it it's it has a lower population than Augusta, Georgia. Yeah. So you know, you're not talking about a lot of people, a lot of Eskimos and mining not communities. Yes, sir. <laughs> so. Uh, these guys hollered at us and they're like, yeah, I think you can help us out. And it looks like we can. So they said, Hey, come on up. So we're like, all right, cool. So we got the opportunity up in the Arctic circle. And, uh, if we can get up there and make this happen, we will. And now that it's being delayed, uh, it gives Joey the opportunity to potentially go. So we'll look and see what happens. But Hey, big thing is it won't be minus 15 degrees. It'll be like five degrees above zero. That'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't had a sketchy work trip in a long time. <laughs> Me well, neither, because all those times you went down to South America, I didn't go with you. Right. Yeah. Have y'all ever been to a fly-in, fly-out mine? No. No. I've been to two. One in, uh, one in Africa, in Tanzania, and the other was in Australia. And so, literally the only thing for hundreds of miles when you have these places are the mines. That's it. That's all there is. So... You have to go to like a, a real popular airport somewhere. Like I was in Dar es Salaam and then the other one I was in Perth, Australia. So you go to like a, a big normal and then uh, these mines have their own planes. You know, and the the one that was in uh, the one that was in Africa was like a two by two seated plane. So I mean, it was, it was like a legit commercial jet, but it was theirs. And, and, you know, I've never been so scared in my life of like who was flying this jet and where we were going <laughs> to land because <laughs> as we're coming down like the plane was like coming down right and uh, i'll never forget this the plane was coming down uh so so it leaves dar salaam there are four mines that they owned that this plane is basically like a it's like a bus right you're gonna mm-hmm. drop you off at stop one and then you know stop two and you know here you know you're going to each of these mines and so uh i'm going to bully and hulu and so we're like all right cool bully and hulu is the first stop this is great so we leave and we're headed out and as we're headed, there was like was a really bad storm that come in the night before. And so what that does in that area of the world is it causes a blanket of really dense fog to settle right at the treetops. The the pilot couldn't see, and he was just like, "Send it." <laughs> you know, he didn't care. It's like full sand, dude. We were scraping trees. We we're scraping trees, and he was like, "Ah!" And the whole plane like threw everybody back, like re- like straight back. And you're like, "Holy crap!" What did this guy just do? Like we we're about to crash, and he was, and he comes over to the PA. He's like, sorry about that. Uh, we're gonna try again, and so he circles around, and, and all right, now I'm sweating. My palms are sweaty. I'm feeling real nervous. I'm, I'm staring out the window, like gripping the seat, and uh, he tries again, and uh, still can't see. So he raises back up, and he's like, all right, we're just gonna have to try again it's later. So he's like, later, yeah, it'll clear out later. So we went and dropped everybody else off, uh, and the last one was in Victoria. So we're out in the middle of Africa, and he says. Uh, he says, guys, I got bad news for you. We're out of fuel. And so uh, we're just going to have to land at Victoria. So we land at the Victoria, uh, Lake Victoria International Airport. And boys, let me tell you, <laughs> this is like one of those airports you saw in South America, Joey. It was a shack. It was a shanty town. Uh, they, they were so excited because they had just expanded it. The expansion was like 500 square feet. <laughs> and had air conditioning, right. but the rest of the place didn't. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. It was the middle of the summer mm-hmm. uh, in mm-hmm. Africa. It was so hot, so nasty. And we had to stay there for hours and hours and hours with nothing, no food, no water. You're just stranded at this place. It was an international airport, but all they had was a vending machine. The vending machine was empty. So <laughs> we're there all day. And then uh, finally got to get back on and land. And we land on a dirt runway at yep. the gold mine. And then, then you go in. So... They're pretty cool places for the most part because of uh, what it takes to build one of those communities. Because you got to house 600 people or so. And so everybody has their own room. Everybody has, you know, the cafeteria is balling, you know, because everybody got to eat there and it's free food all day long as much as you want. But you're working from 5 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then you go back and you, you wash your hands, you eat, and then you're, you know, everybody sits around and talks and has a beer till 8 30. And then you, everybody goes to bed wake up do it all over again yeah. uh these guys that work there for a living you know they're there two weeks on two weeks off or a week on a week off but usually two weeks right yeah it's pretty wild but that's where we'll be going we go into something like that 
Joey, you're looking forward to something else, aren't you? You got the uh, groundbreaking ceremony going on for the uh, new building at MTSU. Yeah, next week. I don't know when this episode is going to drop, but uh, April 6th at 10.30 a.m. Uh, at MTSU, it's going to be on the corner of Blue Raider Drive and Alumni Drive. So if we got any CIM grads uh, listening to this, uh, meet us out there. I'll be out there barring a uh, Texas trip next week. So, but I'll be out there. Um, you can, I guess the easiest thing would be just to look up information on the uh, MTSU CCM Facebook page. Uh, they got a flyer up there uh, where you can RSVP to a lady named Kimberly Edgar. It's got her phone number and email there. Um, and then it's got a link to the MTSU CCM uh, website. And the cool thing about that, and I was nosing around on there before we started recording, was that they give you a virtual tour of the building. And I'll run through a couple details of the building. I thought it was pretty neat. That's, of course, it's concrete, just about everything, you know, obviously with the CIM program there. Um, they got some integral color, uh, board form, acid etching, all on the side of the building. They've got a big conference center in there, all new labs. I saw uh, several labs in there. Uh, and the labs go outside to like a working yard, you know, like like a yard that would be at a ready mix plant or a plant where you can store materials and aggregates and all kinds of other stuff. There's a, there's an outdoor classroom there. And there's also, I thought it was cool. There was like a viewing platform uh, inside overlooking the labs. So you can kind of get up on this platform, look through this big observation window and kind of see all the work that's going on in the lab. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and then the second floor is mostly classrooms and offices there's a 3D print lab, a virtual reality and computer lab, um, a student lounge. There's a green roof up there. Uh, so that's all pretty cool. And uh, also another little event that popped up uh, in relation to that. They're doing a virtual tour of that building on uh, April 9th via Zoom. And this is a chance where, you know, you get your login info and it's going to be hosted by the architect of the building. So you can ask the architect questions. Uh, he can give you kind of an update on where they're at and as far as construction, you know, even though the groundbreaking ceremony is next week, but there's always something going on in the planning process. Um, so that's pretty neat. And that, that information can also be found on the uh, Facebook page. So they expect that building to open up fall of 2022. So what do you guys think about all that, like, <clears throat> MTSU's getting all this new fancy stuff and they have all these uh all these state of the art labs and everything to play with and you guys are the OGs just kind of looking at what it's become. Is that like a bittersweet feeling? Just like man, we were there on the ground floor, but we didn't have any of this cool stuff. <laughs> Paul pushes his mic away. <laughs> Paul ain't got nothing to say. I I think I like the way uh the way we went through it. I think we had a lot of fun. Uh, the way we went through it with what we had, what little we had, because there ain't no way that those cats getting all that new stuff are going to have as good of stories as we got. Well, we had a great time. There's no doubt. Uh, I, I hesitate to call ourselves the OGs. Uh, you know, there were the people that really started that program, uh, you know, the, the people that graduated in the early 2000s. You know, we got there in 2006. Uh, people that graduated ahead of us, uh, I would say they're the true OGs. I am very proud of where we came from. You know, looking back, um, it was interesting to be at MTSU the time we were there because it was really this pivotal point at that university's history where they decided not to be a, a shabby, rinky-dink place and said, you know what, we're going to make this university awesome. And so we saw uh, the plans get implemented we saw the first roundabout it sounds silly but we saw the first roundabout go in and they had the new architecture and everyone's like oh wow that's okay that looks awesome and there and the, the universe was like yeah we're gonna do this everywhere like everything's gonna have this architecture we're gonna widen the roads we're gonna put these nice sidewalks in we're gonna put you know these nice trees around uh these old dilapidated fields they're in the middle of the in the middle of the campus that have nothing on them now you know we're gonna build a $60 million and a $75 million building on these things to house these other departments. And like, Oh yeah, we're going to build a $125 million science building. Oh, we're going to build 
four parking garages. We're going to build a new baseball stadium. Well, they built the baseball stadium over there. And it was mm-hmm. it was really nice. That was cool. Um, and so there were all these plans to like make the place so much better, a new student union, all this stuff. And we never got to experience any of that except the baseball stadium. But we knew the plans were happening. We knew it was coming. So bittersweet in the sense we didn't get to use it. Yeah, I mean, a little bit. But th- when you go back to MTSU today, we look at it now. It doesn't even look like the same place. Yeah. It's so much. The whole place is so much nicer. It's so much better. So when I think about, hey, the money that um, that I paid into that place or the scholarships that I got that went into that place, uh, did it just line the pockets of a bunch of people? It may align some pockets, but they really put a lot back into it. It is a much nicer university than it was when I went there. And, you know, they got the po- they got the population there to prove it, right? Their, their attendance or what you say, how many enrollments they have or whatever. Yeah. It's number one in size in the state of Tennessee. Really? Bigger than the University of Tennessee. Yeah, undergrad. Yeah. You know, I think those bigger schools have us beat as far as graduate programs. But for undergrad, at least while we were there, we were the largest undergrad student body in the state. Well, boys, after that uh, little trip down memory lane, let's get to uh, more current and pressing matters because uh, today's episode is all about innovation and uh, forward thinking. We have on Sarah McGuire, who works for uh, Geotech, and specifically with the smart concrete testing technology that they have there. Uh, And if you've listened to more than one of these episodes, you know that we completely nerd out over uh, technological advances and just overall using new practices from the 21st century and technology into advancing what is generally a pretty archaic way of of testing concrete and monitoring concrete that's used in the industry now for the most part. So that kind of technology we love and we talk about it, but we really don't have any expertise on it. So we're bringing in Sarah and she's got the expertise on it. Um, She represents the company very well and she represents the, the ideas and the direction that their engineers and product development team are trying to take the uh, the products that they have there at Geotech. So without any further ado, for episode 15, we have Sarah McGuire from Geotech. Thank you, Sarah, for joining us. Could you uh, let the people know where you're calling in from? Uh, yes, I'm calling in from Ottawa, Canada, Geotech Scientific's headquarters here. All right. So tell us a little bit about what Geotech does. We, you know, we've talked to our people about what you do and what you're doing concrete, but tell us about the company a little bit. Uh, So Geotech is a company we've been around for just over 10 years. So in concrete industry standards, pretty new to the game, but we have been, we're essentially revolutionizing the concrete industry. That's what we say in all of the things that we do. I think what we're probably most known for would be our sensor technology. So we're bringing, you know, IOT to kind of older fashion sensing properties. We really have focused on maturity sensors um, in the last few years. Prior to that, you know, our founders have PhDs in, in concrete subjects, so they really do come from a concrete knowledge background, and they're super passionate about that. Um, what we've most recently been getting into, though, is bringing artificial intelligence to um, the industry. We are the first company to do that. That first came to be back in April of 2019. And most recently, just about a month and a half ago is when we actually went public with a lot of the stuff that we've been working on for the last year and a half with our ReadyMix partners helping us out. So that's been really interesting for me. I think when people, you know, I didn't come from a concrete background coming into this uh, industry. And when people hear that I'm in that, I think until I start to talk about all the cool things that we're doing, I don't think they realize just how you know, mind blowing it truly is and how much technology there is in the industry. So it's really neat to be able to to close that gap and be able to say, yeah, we're the first company that brought, we call her Roxy. Her name is Roxy. Just like you have Alexa in your home, Siri on your phone. Roxy's out there helping you with your concrete mix proportions. So it's pretty neat stuff. Okay. Talk to us more about Roxy. Had no idea uh, about Roxy. <laughs> so you see what a great job I did as an interviewer to <laughs> prepare for this. I was going to talk about uh, maturity probes and we, we get hit with the Alexa of concrete. That's right. So go, go into it, please. You can tell us about Roxy. This is fascinating. Go ahead. So, you know, the whole concept of it came about, I'm obviously not on the product side, so I'm not going to take credit for any of this, but you know, the brain power we have in our office is amazing. Um, we, when we came out with our maturity sensors, we were the first company in the world to say, Hey, there's a really old fashioned way of testing that nobody's thought to, you know, evolve on since the nineties. And we took IOT and we 
If you can order groceries with your phone and have it delivered to your door, why can't we check our concrete? So we brought that kind of idea to a very simple way of testing. And by doing that, we made it cloud-based. So now, you know, it's huge power to us because we're able to obviously see so much about how concrete's developing and we're able to get that data, but it was very beneficial to our customers too, because as we're now, you know, shipping product to Australia and South Korea, they tell us what project they're working on. We pull it up in the cloud instantly. We can now help them. So that was a huge part of why we were able to expand so quickly. But now that we have all of this data on the cloud, we're able to take that and see how concrete's performing. Um, and so we're able to match that against a lot of different mixes, but this has really been in partnership with a lot of our ready mix companies. And they've been working with us to say, you know, here's my regular mixes, here's how they kind of react to certain proportions that are acted, and here's how it affects the strength. And that's where the idea started from, but the idea of it actually was around first reinforcing the value of maturity. Because I mean, I'm sure we'll get into that after, but there's so much skepticism around this method. Um, it's a calculation, it's not real strength, and we hear that every day. But I will, you know, argue that back of cylinders aren't real strength either. So, you know, let's let's have that discussion. But the sensors, there's still a lot of skepticism around. You're telling me I can put something into the concrete, pour over, I'm never gonna see it, and it's going to tell me one of the most important properties of my concrete that I will then be liable for. That's a big discussion and that's a lot to swallow. So what Roxy started doing, the first you know feature that she had was a really common thing on our app that you have to do is you have to set the pouring time. So if the sensors are taking temperature measurements, you have to say, this is when the concrete poured so that that's when you start calculating the strength. You get that wrong, depending on which way it goes, it can be very detrimental. You can get over predicted strength very easily. So Roxy is able to detect exactly when that pouring time should be. She's analyzed thousands of mixes to be able to say, here's what your how your mix is reacted. She'll pop up, she'll say, hey, I noticed you put your pouring time here. I actually think it should be here. What do you think? You can accept or reject. So that was the first step. And that was kind of like our little tester to see, you know, do people see value in that? And she, we actually got reports back that she saved a lot of projects in that sense of not saving it from the sense of a bad decision would have been made, just saving it from a possible delay. Somebody was on site looking at the data, the person there before forgot to put the pouring time in, Roxy shows up, she sets it for them, they're ready to go, they don't have to call the guy that's on vacation. So things like that, we're just kind of reinforcing that. And of the bigger thing that she really helped us do afterwards was validating your maturity calibration. If you create your maturity calibration and you put it into our system, if you also put the mixed proportions of what your mix is, Roxy will detect, hey, these mixed proportions do not match the strength that you should be getting from a regular curve. Um, and so we're even able to take this now a step further by taking some of our partners mixed designs and or their mixes and they're punching them in. And this is also utilizing our sensors, but some of the features use the sensors and some of them don't. And just over a month ago, we launched Smart Mix publicly. So this is something that we've been using with some of our um, partners that are on our AI council. Now we're able to predict what the mix performance will be. We're able to say, here's the strength that I'm looking for. And they can search your database and say, here's the mix that you have in your database that will fit this best, or here's a different mix that you can use. And it's all taking into consideration their past history of using this. And what we're really going to be doing, you know, our, our industry is under a lot of heat for the environment and CO2 emissions and sustainability is becoming a, a bigger thing, whether we agree with how much responsibility there is or not on, on that, it's still becoming a requirement. It's still something that's coming into owner specifications these days. So using this, we can actually, sure, we can reduce the costs of our producers to say, you don't need this much cement, you're overperforming, it's not necessary, but it can also be really beneficial to the environment as well and have that kind of green sticker on it, so to speak. So she's doing a lot more. And obviously, this is what we've been able to achieve in just under two years, with the most recent developments just becoming public like six weeks ago. So you know, without being able to disclose too much, um, Roxy's really going to change the concrete game. And we're really excited about what she's going to be able to provide. So I think it's all great. I I'm on board with you. But let me play devil's advocate for just a moment. If I'm running a ready mix plant, and I've been making concrete for the past 40 years. Uh, I got a pretty good idea of what these mixes are going to do with these materials. Uh, what do you say to somebody who says, I've, I've got my own history. I don't, I don't need Roxy to 
tell me how this concrete is going to perform. How do, how do you explain to those guys that uh, this, this is the way we need to move forward? We need to move forward with Roxy. You know, there's, there's some companies that are definitely operating leaner than others. And I would actually say that what we've noticed is that the companies that are operating the leanest already are the ones that are adopting this technology the fastest because they've probably adopted other things along the way. Now, when we have worked with maturity sensors, this is something I was saying yesterday to another partner of ours, maturity sensors are typically used through contractors. It's, the benefit is to them. They're the ones who can accelerate their schedule, validate the brake test so they know what, what to do next. Our company has specifically wanted to work with ReadyMix companies because we want to add more power into our database. We want to help them, but also because they know their concrete best. Who's going to be able to do a better calibration than the person who created the concrete? So I would never argue that somebody you know, working at a ReadyMix plant doesn't know their concrete better than anyone. AI is great, but I'm just like everyone else. I see like the Black Mirror episodes of what it can do. It freaks me out just as much as the next person. <laughs> so I get it. it. She's a tool that can help. She won't always be perfect, but she's definitely an extra data point that can be used. And I would say, you know, put it to the test then. If you think that you can't benefit from this, that's okay. Try it. Right now, we're actually signing people up on this for free to get their feedback because we want to see if it's going to add value. Um, most of the partners that we work with, we don't charge them to be a part of this whatsoever. We're actually just trying to benefit the industry and we genuinely want their feedback. So give it a try. And if you don't learn anything, you don't have to use it. But I believe I would be willing to put $100 down and say, you're going to learn something and you're going to be able to save some costs and bring that value to you, but also your customers. Okay. So where can people sign up to win the $100 out of your pocket? <laughs> where, where can they sign up for real to mess with Smart Mix? Well, I mean, they can go to our website or you can type in Geotech Smart Mix. We're going to be the first thing that pops up on Google. There's a form in there that you can fill out to say, like, I want to be signed up. Our R&D team is the one who's taking this right now. It's actually not, you know, related to sales. But in the notes, if you want to say additional notes, you know, Sarah promised me $100 if Roxy teaches me nothing. We'll log that away. <laughs> we'll keep that in mind and I'll, I'll put it into our system and I'll give you a call and let you know. <laughs> I bet you will. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sarah, I have a question. So with a Roxy, how many of these would go into a typical job site? Like say somebody was building a hospital or something like a, just a standard three to four right. story building. How many of these sensors will the company, the ReadyMix company, place among that project? So I'm going to make one just correction because when the ReadyMix companies are working with these sensors, we actually don't want them embedding the sensors at all. This technology is super easy to use. They should be able to give it to their contractors to do without them having to be there. Maybe like the first time that they're working with it. But the idea of this is this should be the most turnkey solution back to you guys. We don't want this to be something that's really complicated where you feel like you have to be watching over their shoulder. So where they would be placed, though, is it's volume based or it's two per pour, whichever comes first. So the standards kind of say a recommendation of one for every 150 cubic yards, but more commonly we see about one for every 100 cubic yards just because of the volume requirements. Um, then we do have all of these recommendations as well. If you're working with a PT slab, you want a couple along the perimeter, you want a couple in the core um, so that you can get that kind of differential. That's something you are not going to get with cylinders. You don't get that benefit. Um, or if you're dealing with a mass pour, now mass pours are different because the engineers are most likely going to spec what they want because they need to monitor the differentials just from a temperature standpoint. Um, so they're actually going to over, you know, estimate there. But, you know, a standard rule of thumb is one for every hundred cubic yards if you're kind of trying to price it out. And really, if you think about it, I mean, what's a, a building that's 10 stories high? Um, you're using three to four sensors per, per story. That's 40 sensors at $100 a piece. We're talking about $4,000 to have seamless mm -hmm. operations on your project. That is nothing to these projects. I mean, the standard cost of operating a job site on a daily basis is 12 to 15 grand. So if we can just save you a day, that's phenomenal. So it's not a big cost in the long term of things of what it can do for the project. And how are these incorporated into the, the fresh concrete? So the sensor itself is actually, you know, strapped right onto the right onto the rebar. We install them kind of that first rebar close to the surface of the concrete um, and we have two versions right now, but yeah, you strap them on, on the concrete, you pour everything over top. 
Um, ours are powered by Bluetooth. So we, because we have everything embedded, we actually have the temperature cable running off of the sensor so that you get the maximum kind of range getting out of the concrete. And that way you can go as deep as you need to. And uh, we do have sensors that can go as deep as 50 feet. But more commonly, we just see like 10 feet is usually enough. Um, but in the past, you know, certain big industrial projects, we've needed like 50 feet, even sometimes longer if we have to make them custom. It's interesting. So, so recently or, or this time, you're talking about the, the Smart Rock product? Yes, exactly. Okay, that's, that's what you're referring to. But mm -hmm. I mean, you, you do have other products as well, Smart Box, and then you have your, your corrosion detection right. units and things like that. Is, is the Smart Rock kind of like your flagship product or, or does the Smart Box keep you busy? Or like what, what do you have more interest in or, or are you kind of using multiple products to, to sell to the same uh, end user? Yeah, it's, that's a really good question. So, I mean, it's been crazy because I, I've been with the company for just over six years. And when I started with them, they didn't have any of the sensor technology. It was um, a company with just all of their non-destructive testing equipment. So it was very research-based, lab-based, you know, universities, testing agencies, things like that. But um, we really had to go global really fast just for there to be a proper like tangible market there for those products. And they're still really important products to us because some of these are like light years ahead of their time. We're involved in a lot of research projects, but if we're talking about, you know, where's Geotech commercially going, it's for sure the sensors, because also as I'm talking about Roxy and all of these other things where it's going, you can see that there's so much power that we can provide back to the industry. Um, with this data and, and these uh, and these other types of technologies. So there's over the next you know year or two years, I would say, Geotech's gonna be in the news quite a lot for the new products that we're coming out with. So, and it's really going to be, you know, we're really focusing on the sensors moving forward. Yeah, when I look at this, I, uh, the sensors, I love it. I, love, I absolutely love it. But I actually think it, in my view, it's gonna come in to play very heavily in the market uh, from a regulatory side, mm -hmm. I, I think, uh, and, and you could tell me what you're doing right now on that, on that side of the business, but, uh, I think it's going to really be like the state agencies here in the United States are moving to, uh, paperless ticketing for concrete. Yes. And yeah. so you have paperless ticketing, you have the, 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 the technology that's coming to the concrete drums these hatches that can tell you the slump and the air and everything like that. And that all can get sent to the ticket. And then now you're going to have these maturity probes that are in the concrete. They're going to tell you the temperature and the, the strength of the concrete based on correlated data uh, that's been calibrated into it. And all that is going to get sent directly to the state and they're going to have it electronically. And then it gets disseminated automatically to everybody. So mm -hmm the amount of human error that is potentially being removed from this is absolutely unreal. And so when I'm looking at this big picture, I'm thinking, you know, it's not just about adoption from the guys on the ground. Uh, once you get the governmental agencies, the regulatory bodies that are moving electronic anyway, I mean, okay. if you're, if you're a them, if they're sided with you, this is going to take off faster than you can even keep up. Are you, are you guys seeing that as well? Or am I, am I coming at it from the wrong way? Talk to me about that. No, I think, um, you know, we kind of have a, a saying in here where it's, we're not necessarily selling to, you know, the contractors, but we're selling to the project. Every project that you're on is going to have a different regulatory body that you need to work with and make sure that they're all comfortable with. And even if you've worked with that body before, it's actually individuals that need to also be comfortable with it because they're individually signing off on things. And that's a very long game. I mean, that's something that we can go bottom up and we can go top down. Um, and, you know, one of the big kind of regulatory authorities on this has been DOTs. Um, and DOTs, it's wild how many DOT meetings I have been in where they have a spec, it's adopted, it's in there, it's written, but just nobody's using it. People aren't even familiar with it because it's kind of up to the contractor if they want to use it. And sometimes the contractor doesn't even realize that they have that option. The number of conversations that we have on a daily basis, navigating them to say, well, oh, I need the owner to approve that. I need the testing lab to approve that. You, you actually don't because when you're getting cylinder breaks that are coming back you know, incorrectly or late or whatever that looks like to you, you know, those things happen. We're talking about a standard that's been around for almost 100 years 
our building practices have obviously changed a lot in 100 years. Cylinders cannot always keep up with all of the crazy types of projects that we're working on. So it's pretty crazy how quickly when people realize that they can adopt this, when you talk them through, if that cylinder comes back late, it's your problem to fix. And here's an extra data point to help you decide how you're going to fix that problem. So that's kind of the conversation that we have a lot. And every project we've kind of run into a different discussion, but it's having that snowball effect. So we're now getting people reaching out saying, I want this mandated. How can you help me? It's like, awesome, great, we'll help you do that. When we brought these sensors to the market, there was really only one company that I was kind of informed about that we had to position ourselves against. And it was the older Intellirock FLIR sensors that have now been discontinued. Um, now there's like 25 different companies, like some of them, they come up on the phone. I'm like, who? I, I have no idea anymore. There's just so many different companies doing different things. And that's what happens. But I think the reason why we've kind of come to be a trusted company is, well, we have like the concrete expertise behind us, obviously. We really, people in here probably care a little bit. As the sales director, people care sometimes a little bit too much about the education side. I'm like, guys, we still have money to make, you know? Um, but they really care about changing the industry and having that impact. And that feeds out to our customers. Like people call us and say, you know, I want to work with, you know, the ten Tennessee DOT is still one that we're still we haven't we haven't cracked yet, but there's a lot of people now in Tennessee that are like, we want to help you crack that. Great, let's do it together. And that's what we're kind of working towards. But that's a very long, that's gonna take a long time. And that's okay. We're we're ready to kind of work through that. So I think the human error uh, side of things is a huge, huge deal because I was just thinking about how you, know, you could take one mix and have two guys run a slump on that same exact mix. And they could get two different things. Well, adjustments mm -hmm. are then made on that mix uh, based on, you know, a slump reading and same goes with air and cylinders too. You, you make cylinders, yeah. if two guys make two different sets of cylinders, no telling what kind of breaks. And so then you have your product in the poured concrete and it's giving you actual data of what the results are from you know these adjustments i think that's that's amazing it's a very big one and especially when you know we're talking to contractors about how they can use this to kind of help them um, but then they want buy-in from the people around them and it really is that liability aspect that just gets everybody on board because it's such a small cost to just have that assurance even if we if we don't save one hour of time, but everything went smoothly and everybody just didn't have to worry about anything going through, even the companies making the cylinders to add as a validation point to kind of get them comfortable and familiar with the, you know, with the method, that's good too. I think we would all remember what happened in Louisiana with the Hard Rock Cafe a year and a half ago. And, you know, it's been a while since we've heard anything about that. But the week that it happened, the following week, our phones were ringing off the hook from that from that state. And I mean, it'll be years of litigation before like we actually find out truly what happened. But the rumor for at that time um, was that a testing company, the testing company that was on the job had gotten cylinders from another project, crushed them and attributed to the other project. Ooh. And that's what's been said so far. Obviously, again, all of that will be super confidential for a long time. But we have a pretty big market down there now for a pretty good reason. And if it can happen in a climate like that in the month of October, I mean, where could it not happen? I think people think that maturity is really only to be used in colder weather. And that's really not the case. Like we have a widespread adoption of it. We have people using these in the Middle East, in the desert, because they, they see that they need that traceability with their workers. They need to have that kind of piece of the sensor is in the concrete, no wires sticking out, cannot be tampered with. It's hard, cold data. It will not be changed. It cannot be changed. Um, so that's, you know, a really big piece of the puzzle. And then, of course, 10 years from now, that data is all available to you. So you always have access to that now. And we, we store that for our customers, but that data is owned by them. So episode three of this podcast, we had Jim Casilio on. Incredibly smart guy, very bright. And uh, he's... He's an opponent. Uh, he's not in favor of these embedded probes, this maturity method. Uh, so it was nice to spar with him back and forth a little bit. But mm -hmm. he, he thinks there's limitations on the maturity method and that it's not going to be adopted. Uh, I can't speak to the limitations. Uh, I disagree with the adoption. 
but maybe you could speak to me about what are uh, what are some limitations that uh, some of your prospective customers uh, think there is with your technology and how do you overcome that? Right. So it, it actually you're circling back a little bit to why Roxy has been so important to this kind of vision for us. Um, and I would say that he's correct. I think maturity is a really great stepping stone into standards that exist today. I think, you know, if you have me on the podcast this time next year, I think I'll be able to tell you about new things that would be coming of where we can go with this that will eliminate some of these limitations that maturity has. Um, but Roxy has been a huge part of that because one of the biggest problems is, you know, if a mix changes, you, what happens? Of, of course, if the water to cement ratio gets, you know, changed in a dramatic way, I, you know, they change cement suppliers halfway through the project because of a contract that's gone awry. Those things happen. Um, this kind of goes down to why working with ready mix companies is super important to us because they're the source. So by working with them directly, we were going to get all of that information. I mean, before we started doing that, I went to a job site where our sensors were sitting on the shelf. They used them for half the project and then they changed the mix and then they weren't able to use them for half the project. And it was such a small cost to them that they just were like, it doesn't matter. We're, we just got to keep going. We don't have time to roll with the punches. Um, and I was, you know, I, I, from a sales perspective, you're like, well, you still made the sale, but I'm not happy with that. As somebody who's invested in this company, I want to see that people are getting use out of our product because that's not okay. Um, so I think, you know, mixed change is a huge thing. The other thing is, yeah, it's a calculation. It's a calculation based on temperature. It is not the real strength. The perfect strength, truly the perfect strength and the perfect conditions is for your cylinder to be guaranteed to be cured at the perfect condition in all of the variations within your slab and to have all of those different, you know, um, cylinders to crush at those different points and to just be constantly crushing, that's not realistic. Not with the timelines that we have these days, not with the practices that we have these days. So I would say that yes, maturity is a calculation based on temperature, but if that calculation is done right and Roxy can verify your mixed proportions right in the app and make sure that that takes care of that for you, then it's probably, and what we've seen is it is a lot more accurate than the cylinders that are coming out because one of our cases in Louisiana working with the TOT. They made a pour, they did the cylinders. We're in the we're in July heat in Louisiana. So obviously that pour got super hot. Well, the sensor readings came back at like 4,000 PSI when the cylinders were only showing two. And they just said, well, this doesn't work. Sensors are witchcraft, we don't trust it. So then we said, okay, do another pour, take some cylinders, put a sensor in a cylinder and a sensor in a pour. Tell me what you get. Well, the cylinders never even broke 100 degrees. And during the ripe curing conditions, the uh, pour got to 135 every time. So of course you're going to have higher strength. That's what I tell everybody that says, how do I show you know, the difference and, and validate these results? Just put a sensor in a cylinder and put a sensor in the concrete. You're using the same calculation, different temperatures, and you'll see, you'll see how that, that reacts. Um, sometimes it's not as bad as it is other times, but it just really depends on the practices that you have on site, the ability you have to control that. There's, it's a jungle out there. We sometimes, we bring our software developers, we, we brought them out onto a job site once just so that they could see, you know, all of the stuff that you're coding, we want you to see like how it's going to impact. And they actually described it as a zoo. They were like, it's chaotic here. I wanna go back to my desk. I don't know how you guys do this, but those are the really impactful things to like do with your people so that you can see, yeah, this is why what you're doing is so helpful and valuable. So I, Jim is right. I mean, there are of course limitations, but there's a lot of limitations to what we're also using a hundred year old practice on buildings that are 80 stories high. You think we were building those a hundred years ago? That's wild. So, you know, it everything's gonna have its limitations. What do these uh, little sensors look like? Describe them more so, so people listening can understand what they look like. Yeah. Um, one of my guys the other day, he described it as the size of a wristwatch. I really liked that because, um, yeah, it's no bigger. It really is no bigger than that. Um, hold on, hold on. Hold that up. Hold that up. That's not a that's not a wristwatch. That's one of those. Uh, that's, a, that's an ankle bracelet. Well, yeah, that's okay. an ankle. It probably looks like an ankle bracelet. <laughs> <laughs> so the guys from Tennessee and Alabama thought that looked like a 
ankle bracelet. That would be pretty telling. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're out on parole. They got to know where you're at. You know, and Gia yeah. comes right along. They got you covered, baby. Yeah. We're good. No worries. Only a 40-foot range. So if you get within 40, outside of 40 feet, we don't know where you went. Actually, I, I'm pretty sure that's the rule from the prison system. You, you know, whatever they got going on, you, you leave your house. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, the sensors, these are the newer ones. So they're a bit thicker than the older ones that we have. And both are still available. But these ones give you a much uh, longer range. Um, also, you know, our product has always been meant to be intuitive. You know, we if a customer can't figure it out, back to the drawing board. So um, these sensors just kind of reinforce that. They've got a groove on the inside of them, so it'll really attach to any kind of rebar um, that you can find. And the strap that kind of goes around to secure it withstands about 40 pounds. Um, so when, you know, even if you're using these in shock create, it really shouldn't budge. Then you have a temperature cable that kind of comes out of the body and you would just kind of place that wherever you need it. You can secure it with zip tie, electrical tape, um, QR code on the front to scan and trace it back to your phone. And then you just connect it with Bluetooth and there you go. You're ready to go with the phone. Um, once you strap it in, pour the concrete over top and that's it. It's really, really that simple. The rest of the power is really coming from the application side of things. That's amazing. Yeah. You kind of um, touched on a question I wanted to ask when you mentioned back to the drawing board. In my mind, there's such a huge disconnect with the engineers writing code and software for these amazing products that are truly innovative. And then you're trying to sell it to for lack of a better term, a very mature, mm -hmm. antiquated times market. Um, you're trying to sell these things to guys that still carry flip phones. Um, <laughs> and then on top of that, from what you've described so far during this conversation, the innovation level of these products has just been at warp speed. Where, where you started compared to where you are now and what these products can do, really that type of innovation hasn't been seen before. I mean, we're living in an age where things happen and develop and mature so quickly. Yeah. Um, so with all that being said, long winded question, I apologize. But with all that being said, what's the what's the hardest part of that sales cycle? Is it getting the engineers to develop something that's easy to use or getting the end user to use something that's easy to use? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm I'm trying I want to give you like a straight answer and I don't wanna cop out on this, um, but it's really project dependent because it depends on who you're talking to in that project. And you know, I was saying earlier that when, one thing that I did before we brought the sensors, we launched them at World of Concrete, the last World of Concrete that we had. Um, these sensors, I had brought them home to my, my family because I was, I was playing around with them, kind of working on how they would be positioned at the trade show and things like that over the holidays. And I gave the sensor to my 75 year old father, not from the industry, um, but definitely not tech savvy, still using the iPhone four that I bought him eight years ago. And, um, but that's fine, works fine for him. And uh, he, I kind of put it in front of him and he knows the premise of kind of what we do. Although sometimes when he says, how's the cement industry going, I want to <laughs> faint, um, but, <laughs> Aside from that, I just said, hey, dad, can you figure out how this works? And we kind of went through it and I walked him through it a bit and I gave him like a quick demo in my mind of how it would go. And then if he could figure it out from there, it was kind of helping me figure out what things do people struggle with the most in terms of what they're operating. So what do we need to focus on the most when we're training them? I think, you know, the training team, the customer success team that we have in here, they, to me, they're like the rock stars of our company because we, as salespeople, we sell people on the value. We're telling you, we can do this for you. We can do this for you. We can do this for you. And they're like, yeah, I'm in. And now they have to make that dream come true. And it's hard to go through. I mean, I've been in the room with people who have invested a lot of money into our technology. And I'm around a board table with a group of guys. And I tell them to pull out their phones and download the app. And I had to help this gentleman set up his Apple ID because he's never downloaded an app before. And they've invested in our product. They're good to go. So when you tell people about the value, that's the easy part. In my mind, I don't want to say that our sales team, like we have an easy job because obviously there's, you know, specifications that we have to get through and stuff. But the tougher part is making sure that they have a really good experience. And here our, our product or our focus of constituency is product and, and we focus on customer. 
So for us, it's product before everything and customers before everything. You know, some companies have stakeholders, employees, and customers. For us, it's our customers. If we listen to what they need, we'll we'll get it right. Are there any big or unique projects you can tell us about that has your stuff in it? Oh, big projects, sure. Um, my gosh, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I work, I, n- I never really get to interact with a lot of um, projects anymore. I'm just kind of putting out the fires, but um, some of the big ones, we have the LRT here in Ottawa. It's a huge, massive project that's going around here. A lot of the wind farms that are happening around the Texas, Oklahoma, Indiana area all probably have our sensors in them. We've got, I'm thinking about what's in our pipeline right now, which is obviously not correct because that would be what's coming, but I'm so pipeline focused these days. Your question. What is the craziest thing you've ever seen on a job site? Um, I'll tell you the craziest phone call I ever got from a customer was like... That'll work. Yeah, this one was really funny. Um, this was a couple of years ago. An unnamed customer gave me a call. They wanted to know the specifications of every little thing that was in our sensor. And I just didn't really understand what they were asking for. They were being kind of like secretive about it and I didn't quite get it. And after pushing a couple of times, he said, okay, sir, I'm just going to be frank with you. Can I, can I tell the government that they can blow your sensors up or not? And I went, sorry, what? Like, so I guess our sensors were used in some concrete pours for some military operation somewhere. And they just wanted to make sure that whatever it was, it, they could blow up and not cause like a problem. I was like, well, when did you pour? Like a year ago. Yeah, they're not even active anymore. You can go ahead and do whatever you want. Um, so I don't know, but yeah so that's all that's all i knew about that one so obviously there's some stuff going on there um a lot of airports a lot of airports are using like o'hare um hartsfield um yeah the seattle SeaTac um are using our sensors we've got this really really um cool project in australia where they're building the quay tower and it's like a spirally building and they had really intense specifications so you can look that up online and it's built right there on sydney harbor so that was a really neat project to go on top of because people were going to be paying like millions of dollars for those condo views and i just got to see it all from like the top and just say yeah i got it for free sweet um really similar thing in san francisco where they we were using our sensors and we were on like the 47th floor of the building and same thing you're just like looking out at the views you're like wow that's crazy um, and yeah, people are going to spend a lot more money than I'll ever see in my life to own that. But these guys get to see it every day for free. And that's pretty neat too. The airports that are using these, is that going in the pavement? Yeah. Like the taxiways, runways and stuff? Yeah, okay. exactly. So, yeah. They obviously yeah. have very quick, you know, quick timeframes that they have to, they have to operate with. Mm-hmm. And you said the, uh, the sensor after it been in there for a year was no longer active. Mm-hmm. So how long? Yeah, the batteries last about um, four months, really maximum. But, you know, we're talking about maturity. We're talking about 14 days, 28 days maximum of when you really need that data. Um, So they're active a little bit longer if you need to continue collecting the data. But um, four months is really you shouldn't need it longer than that. I'm kind of surprised at that. Do you have any sensors that measure for years on end just to monitor strength or whatever else? Yeah, we do have relative humidity sensors on the Blue Rock. They last a couple of years because you obviously need that data longer. You know, I'm sure making sensors like that is very possible. It's just now you're looking at a bigger, more expensive sensor. So um, when you start to get into really important properties that need to be measured over monitored over time, then you're looking at a bigger sensor and that's probably very possible to do. Um, so it just kind of depends on the purpose, really. Um, uh, in the episode where we talked about this with Jim Casilio, mm-hmm. uh, one of the uh, things we brought up to him was how to get this technology uh, adopted uh, more widespread. And part of uh, part of any business being successful in this space is under understanding uh where your threats are and and who's going to try and squash you as you uh venture into this space and uh one of the one of the avenues that i i thought about maybe uh could be a struggle is the testing agencies so these uh these qc firms uh you know you're going to be putting these guys out of business they make 40 dollars a cylinder every cylinder they crush minimum 40 dollars just to crush it forget making it and all that other stuff and if you're coming along and you're saying hey for 100 bucks you could monitor this whole slab forget all them them cylinders 
uh, forget the human error, forget the time delay, forget all this other stuff. We're going to solve a bunch of pain points that you didn't even realize were pain points. And uh, we're going to do it for cheaper uh, than those guys could do it. Well, that's a threat to their business model. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder is, uh, are you guys working with any of those agencies all to say, hey, you guys should adopt this too. This should be what you're offering uh, your clients. And you sort of hit them from both sides. Mm-hmm. We definitely are. One of the companies we've worked with for years is Flood Testing. They are based out of Chicago, but anybody in Illinois knows who they are and they know to go to them, even the surrounding states. Those guys are technology forward. Every product that we start to come out with, they're the ones testing it first. Um, And they are very forward thinking. There There are companies like them everywhere else. There are more that are not like them that see this as a see this as a threat. But many, and as time goes on, even more are realizing that if they don't become the ones that do it themselves, that they will be cut out of the equation. But the other thing is if you ever go through short, they're making $40 a cylinder. How much money are they paying the guys to take it? Are they paying all of the people to record that data, ship them back and forth, the fuel that goes into that? What could those people be doing instead? If you walk through like the balance sheets of what people are actually making on cylinders when it comes out to net, it's it's pennies, it's nothing. They're doing it because it's an add-on to all of the other big things that they're doing. You show them that they can put one of these sensors in or they don't even have to interact with it and they just get a notification on their phone of when they maybe crush a cylinder to verify and move forward and those guys can be doing something else, they're making bigger return. Um, It's not very easy to get those people at the table all the time, but it's a slow process. And that's the thing is we're not here to take them out of the equation. They're equally as important to this. We would much rather obviously have them on board, but if the engineer specs it, it's gonna go in. So one way or another, we would like them to be a part of it. There are a lot of times where if I've sat down with the full group of all of the stakeholders together and we've walked through it, it's like light bulbs going off. So they're like, yeah, this makes a lot more sense. Um, But again, it's not always as easy to get everybody at the table together as the adoption goes on that that will come. But, you know, we've, (laughs) I have definitely seen where this has been specced in. I was at a project a couple of years ago where we worked with the, you know, the government authorities and everything to get this approved to allow it to be specced in to be able to use it instead of cylinders. And I visited the job and it was actually the same job where the sensors were sitting on the shelf. And because it turned out they hadn't been able to get the curve done yet because the curve kept coming up wrong. And they said, your sensors don't work. And then I looked at the curve and you could tell just based on the temperature profile that these sensors were, I don't know where they were, but somehow they had you know, gone between 40, they had had a differential of 40 degrees within the first 24 hours in their cylinders. That's not supposed to happen. Um, They're supposed to be cured at room temperature. Um, So then I said, you know, I'm not sure what happened, um, but these cylinders probably weren't kept, you know, the way that they were supposed to. And most of the guys on that site at the end of it, they they said, yeah, the testing company probably did that on purpose because they didn't want to use your sensors. And so it was just a matter of working with them to show them this is really beneficial to you too. And, and it works. I mean, there's it, this is not news to anyone that people are afraid of change. Like we are all afraid of change. I'm afraid of change just as much as the next person. It's just where that fear comes from is going to be directed in different places. Um, so you, you have to guide people through that. And we're not talking about, we're not talking about some software that you're going to use for podcasting where it might not work from time to time and you just have to schedule it at a different time. You're talking about you know, technology that's going to tell you when to move forward in your project or there could be a collapse. This is big stuff. So it's very valid to have these concerns. Through, and sh- through shade mm. at your podcast company, yeah. Josh. Yeah, it, it came to mind <laughs> first. I'm well, sorry. Well deserved. <laughs> just, just sniping people <laughs> left and right. First, she puts me down. Now she's coming for squad cast. Joey, you're yeah. next. <laughs> I'm I'm oh, I got all kinds of stuff you can get me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, my goal is for people to be listening and be like, oh, I don't know what they're talking about. It sounds fine. <laughs> that's all i can hope for well this has been fantastic sarah i really appreciate you coming on here it's uh 
nice to talk to someone else who has, you know, the understanding of the war stories, the side of it from the sales side that, you know, we're in a long sales cycle. Uh, this is not easy. You got to have a lot of buy-in. Uh, you're changing minds, you're changing hearts, and ultimately you're going to change the industry. Uh, we're believers. Uh, we believe in your product. It's been really great to meet you, believe in you and what you're doing here. Uh, you have an open invitation to come back here anytime. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, I'll come back anytime you want. I love talking about this stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, you definitely have an open invitation to come back. And, and should you be able to come to World of Concrete this year, we'll be there and definitely look us <sighs> up. If not, hopefully next year, 2022 or bust. Fingers crossed for me. I am dying to get out of here. <laughs> I... <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. This was really great. We really awesome. appreciate you. Sarah, you've been great. No Thanks problem. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. All right. And that's it. One final thank you to Sarah for being a part of the Ad 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast today. Appreciated her information and stories, knowledge shared. Uh, super interesting interview. We appreciate her time. We appreciate your time as well. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for tuning in, downloading the podcast, and be sure to give us a comment and a rating. Tell a friend about us, and also check us out on social media. Uh, we have an Instagram and a Facebook page that can be found by searching Add 10 or Add 10 Gallons Podcast. And uh, we have some other content with a video element on there on our Facebook and Instagram feed. And uh, we'll have certain clips from episodes in the past and certain clips from episodes in the future and stuff to look out for. Uh, so check us out on social media as well. Thanks to the presenting sponsor, ActiGel 208. Thanks again to Sarah and everybody there at Geotech. Had a great time talking about the awesome products that they provide. So until next time, we'll see you back here again on the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast.